Ladies and gents, welcome back to another Engineers podcast. Today we're joined by Andy Stewart, who's a staff engineer at Tide. Tide offer SMEs a single platform for anything business banking and a really interesting topic that we're going to be talking about today is their one platform and Andy's very kindly going to break this down for us and some of their engineering goals and why they actually do this. Andy, thanks for joining us. Hi Elliot, uh, glad to be here. Um, Good to yeah. have you for sure. Where do you want to start then? <laughs> Uh, let's start with you. Do you want to give us an intro into Andy, the engineer? Then I think it'd be a really good idea for you to give us almost your elevator pitch on Tide, who the business are, and break that down for us. Sure. Um, so I've been a, a software developer or engineer kind of um, since university, uh, always interested in computers, did a computer science degree. Um, at the University of Sheffield back in, well, I graduated in 2000, so I've kind of been doing this a while. Um, I've worked for a mixture of companies, so started as a consultancy, so got really good experience um, for three years working across a number of sectors, sort of finance, uh, things like that. Worked for a product company doing accountancy, and then kind of went contracting so got some good experience in sort of large message-based systems so foreign exchange healthcare quite a lot of gambling um then kind of had a go at running a consultancy with some mates that that was three years that's quite hard work I learned quite a lot of hard lessons and then sort of the five years before tide running a small uh, engineering team that did um sort of uh, sports betting sort of like a hedge fund um, so that's quite interesting yep. that as an engineering team, we sort of built everything, ran everything, and then was looking for a new challenge last year. And then that's when I came across Tide. And and Tide, our sort of mission is to save our members time and money. So we call our, our customers members. So we have a real member first approach to things. And like you say, we, we focus really on that small business segment. So it's geared up for people that are running a business and we want to make it super easy for them so that was a mission that really resonated with me having been a contractor for sort of seven years and running a, a small it consultancy for three years kind of was aware of how cumbersome some of these banking products are some of the big banks um you know you, you've kind of got this very heavyweight software maybe you've got expensive fees and then you also have to kind of bolt in extras like accountants and bookkeeping and things like that and also kind of sending invoices so that's what Tide like to are focusing on. And we, we don't really kind of call ourselves a bank, but a financial platform for our members. So we've got these connected products. So we can raise an invoice and then we can tell you when it's been paid and it, you know, and send reminders and things like that. So to really take the stress out of running the members' business so they can focus on what they want to do and kind of serving their customers. So that that's really our kind of elevator pitch and, and why we think we're quite unique as a proposition. Um, so yeah, so I got the job at Tide as a senior staff engineer. I've, I work in the SAPIs team, so that's the services and APIs. So we, we're a kind of API first company. So we want to expose our APIs to Tide's carved up into a number of domains. Um, we call them sort of speedboats. So you'll have like the payments domain, business services, financial services. And so we're offering the APIs that we build not just to kind of members through the app, 
but also to other domains so that they can build interesting things on top of that. So um, I'm currently mainly working in sort of service foundations and payment with a heavy focus on payments. So if we offer the, the ability to initiate a payment through an API, then that will also be available to other teams. So, you know, billing can use that and things like that, or we can use it for rewards and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm spread over a number of teams and, and kind of help run them and help shape the architecture and the direction of where we're going. Let's kick on and talk a little bit about one platform. It's great to understand a little bit more about the history of Tide and what makes Tide where they are today. But one platform is pretty integral to the business. It's how you build everything or a lot of things inside the business. It'd be great to understand how one platform is actually leveraging and fueling some of your growth going forwards, because I know the plans are really ambitious. Yeah, that's a great question. So Tide does have big ambitions. We're a scale-up. We're growing in terms of the number of members we're attracting. We're growing the team. I think when I joined Tide, there was like a thousand Tidians. That was back in May last year. We're now at 1,500. So we're always adding more engineering teams. We've just launched in India, or say just launched, but it was actually kind of November, December last year. So when I joined, we were we were building towards that. <clears throat> like a lot of small companies, we started with a monolith, and that served us pretty well. The team, you know, it was a startup. The team, the team were able to build and iterate really quickly. But as we grew, that became cumbersome and difficult to work with. So the one platform initiative is is that imperative of how we build where we want to build something once and then we want to be able to reuse it. So we'd already made really good progress. We'd pulled out some of the things like IAM, the API gateway, how you know how you log in, authenticate members, um, some of the, on, the onboarding journeys and things like that. And then also the thing about Tide is that we don't do the banking or the card processing ourselves. We work with partners to achieve that. So in the UK, we've got um, PPS, who are now EPS, they're doing the card issuing and, and processing, and we've got ClearBank, who are actually providing the bank accounts, and then you know we've we've got outsourcing outsource arrangements with them. Um, but then there'll be different partners in 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 India, and then if we go into another jurisdiction, it will be another partner. So, kind of us with the monolith, a lot of those things were kind of quite tightly intertwined. So the the business logic and the actual integrations were quite closely. Um, knitted together and so what we wanted to do when when launching in India is actually separate the business logic have a foundational service that knows how payments are orchestrated because that business logic is generally the same in different markets and then isolate the integration with our partners in adapters so a big focus on what we've done last year was defining apis to these integrations these these adapters and defining a common Tide language, if you like, because also Tide have our own internal language. So what we call like the the current accounts that we provide our members, we call them BCAs, and that's kind of Tide terminology. So a lot of the internal services that we build and that we provide to our teams, they'll use this Tide terminology and make it consistent and easy for teams to work with. And then the complexity about maybe a certain provider calls it something else. Or when you're onboarding onto their system, they've got different entities. Um, so I know one provider calls something an account, and it's not what you or I would think of as an account. 
So we stopped that kind of knowledge about the market specifics leaking into the rest of the system. So we were also, a lot of us quite big fans of the team topologies book, which I assume maybe you've heard other engineers talking about. And one of the, the focuses when providing these foundational services is to reduce the cognitive load on other teams that are interacting with that. So we kind of achieved that in a few ways. One, we define the APIs on the adapter side. So if you are given the job to go away and integrate with a given provider, you know what kind of functionality we need at Tide to support the rest of our application. And you can kind of ignore all the other bits that that platform might provide as long as you're providing that clean API. And then on the other side, we're all using a, a common Tide domain language and it makes it easier for us because we're all just clearer about what those things are and what we're talking about. So that's kind of what the one, one platform imperative's about. And then that's how it should speed delivery because when we've managed to launch in India and we've been very successful. And now what we want to do is kind of kill that legacy in the UK. So we're currently going, some of the teams we're going through a migration to bring that back. So that's quite a challenge because we've got half a million members in the UK and we obviously, you know, don't want to disrupt their payments. So we're doing it very carefully and doing the migration. Yeah. That will give a lot of benefit just bringing that back to the UK because that separation between like our card issuer and our, our banking provider will make things much clearer and more yeah. supportable. And And it also then, you know, when we move to another market, we can just, we know what functionality we need from a partner and it also makes that integration very clear what we're doing. We started off talking about a monolithic service like most businesses start and there's probably quite a lot of complexities in there that I can't grasp, but I've seen some pros there. Obviously, speed of delivery into a new market being India, and yeah. hence why you're circling back to UK and readdressing that scenario. But why do you think the one platform was a really important introduction from an engineering and product perspective for Tide? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. So I think one of the things that we were able to do, particularly in India, because we were launching a brand new product, so we didn't have to deliver everything that Tide is in the UK. Um, and what we were able to do is we were able to focus on core pieces of functionality in that payment space. So we we looked at what we needed to do based on what the offering in India was going to be from day one. So what we wanted to do is open an e-money account that our members could fund and then spend on their card. And so we were able to focus on building out that specific piece of functionality. And, in, and that was defining the entire slice. So what the core business logic would look like and then what APIs the, the integrating team would need to do. Um, and then that was able to give real focus to those teams and it was able to give them a much smaller problem to work within so we were able to define those those sort of core journeys what those apis look like and then focus the teams on on just that and actually like really concentrate on getting that out in a quarter and then we've been able to layer up so as we introduce more functionality into the into india we've been able to add more and more functionality to those core journeys and then the final step is 
filling it out and addressing the gaps that we've got between the functionality in the UK and what target architecture was. Because I think if we tried to yeah. tackle that in one go, it would have been too big and you'd have had this long running project that was seemingly making no progress. So it's actually been really beneficial to us to be able to do it in a new market through, you know, because this sort of separation of the integrations and, and the business logic was kind of a new thing. So a lot of the other services like I am and, and stuff like that are kind of reusable as they are and are mainly, you know, they don't have kind of yeah. supplier integrations. So it's really useful to to prove this in India, prove it worked. And we we scaled very quickly in India. We've gone from nothing in kind of December to over 100,000 members, and that's gone very smoothly. And so we've been able to approve, prove the one-platform approach and then having validated that, bring that back to the UK. And then that will give us a really solid platform for when we decide what the next market to launch is. We know what capabilities we need to support and it should just be doing that integration yeah okay i think the reusability of infrastructure and services you know has been a really big thing over the last number of years we've had one or two businesses on the podcast you know adopt the same approach amazon have done that and obviously you're added to that list successfully being able to pivot from the UK business into India. And obviously we've spoken about some of the ambitious growth plans, no doubt new markets to come aside from what we've just spoken about in regards to India and how fast you've actually been able to understand the business logic and that solved a problem in itself. And you've been able to move quite quickly what other challenges do you think a centralized platform can solve for a business or for your business? Yeah, so we've got it's it's that kind of team topologies thing. So we we've been able to focus the knowledge about certain things into certain teams. So we can have a team that understands what the the generic business flows we want. And we've got things like app fraud legislation coming in next year. And so we want to kind of layer in more checks and balances and things like that, which are going to protect our members. And we were able to do that in a single team because that team owned that, that application code. And also the benefit to that is once that team have implemented that functionality, what we do is we build to the highest standard. So if there's a higher standard here on this area and there's a higher standard here on this area, then we, we build to that. So Basically, once we've built in a, in one market, we can then bring it straight to another market. So that's one benefit. So we don't kind of have to redo that, you know, and we're not playing catch up in like different markets. Another benefit is that we've then been able to isolate our integration. So like with the monolith, you'd actually got, is it a problem with the third party? Is it a problem with the way we've integrated with the third party? Is it a problem with the business logic? Is it a problem with our database or whatever? Whereas these two things are now completely separate. So we can see, and we also, we're very event-driven architecture, very asynchronous. So a lot of the time, you know, if we're passing a command from the payment service to the adapter that's actually gonna maybe make the, the payment, we've got a much better idea of where it's gone wrong because we can see that the banking service has handed it over to the adapter and we can see that maybe the adapter is struggling to contact the third party or they've got a 
bad response. So it makes it much clearer and more supportable and, and know who to go to in, in, you know, when there are problems or yeah. issues. Okay. It is a smart approach, I think, as you actually you know, talk and break down some of the challenges that it solved, that centralized function for a number of people and technology reasons makes a lot of sense. I talk about a centralized platform quite confidently, but would you be able to break it down for us just in regards to the technologies actually used in building one platform? so that we can understand it yeah so it's it's primarily I'm, I'm talking about it from the back end but it's also quite applicable from the front end as well so um briefly to kind of go into the front end we had a, a big <clears throat> migration last year where we had um so we've got uh, a web app which has got some of the functionality and that's kind of in angular and then we did have native apps on android and ios and then that you've got that kind of problem where, you know, you've got this race for maybe you get a feature in iOS or maybe you get, you know, and, and then you've got different teams build it in Android. So there was the same kind of problem there. So the one platform approach has been used on the front end as well. So we, there's a big project, we've migrated to Flutter. So there is one code base and it gets, it gets built once and then it'll get built for, for the, you know, the appropriate target device. So that's another area where now, you know, we just work with mobile engineers. We don't work with iOS engineers and we don't work with Android engineers. We work with mobile engineers. We build the feature once and then it's available on Android and iOS. So that's that's another benefit. And that's kind of an example of how the one platform approach really kind of runs through everything we do. Um, and then in terms of, of, the, of the back end, really what we're talking about is these services and we use Java everywhere. You know, I know in a microservice-based organization, I guess you've got two choices. You can kind of say we're microservices and we will standardize on technology and we'll kind of, you know, we'll get a benefit because we'll be able to reuse libraries, we'll be able to move team members around, or we can inner source. So if there's a problem in a service, somebody could raise a PR and, and, and do that. Or you can go the other approach and teams can kind of do whatever they like and they can use like Rust and Go and all that kind of stuff. So we've sort of stand, you know, we've standardized, we've got a fairly standard modern Java stack. Um, and so all the teams are, are writing in that and, and yeah, and then we just kind of collaborate together and the APIs are defining code. So the other team that picks that up, they know what they have to implement and they can kind of crack on and get that done. And then we use, you know, things like Swagger or GitHub pages to show what the APIs look like. And that's how they kind of get consumed. I do want to talk about team structure in the next couple of moments, but it'd be good to understand that model between you've either got a choice of a Java stack or Rust, Go stacks. I'm now getting to the assumption that teams are autonomous and they can make their own decisions on tech that they're using. Well, like I say, we're, we're kind of heavily geared up to like the teams use Java and that's what our tooling is. So really, we, we kind of stick to that. And I think that does have the benefits of. So one of the things we're doing in foundations now is we, we're kind of trying to make, make take ownership of libraries and things like that. So libraries around 
um, how we consume and produce messages. You know, we use like message inbox and outbox patterns, and we, we don't want every single team who wants to use that pattern to have to re-implement the wheel. So no, we kind of really are primarily primarily set up as a Java shop, and that's really what we want is teams empowered to use the platform and build the business functionality and build you know what what our members do and and be able to iterate fast so i th i would say we're quite yeah. strongly opinionated in the technologies that we use yeah good i think that's important too i definitely think that's important talk to us a little bit about the team structures then for one platform and how they've evolved over time yeah, and I, I think they've evolved quite quickly, actually. So I think when I started, there was a fairly clear split between we had sort of sappy back-end teams who would work as a kind of like autonomous unit, and then front-end engineers were, were slightly separate to that. And one of the, one of the, the, the one platform team we first formed was, was more cross-functional than that. So we pulled front-end engineers in. Um, and that started off as a, a single team. And also the idea originally behind it was it was going to be a temporary team. We were going to write these foundational services and then hand them over to, to other teams. Um, but then that kind of didn't work very well because you had this lack of clear ownership. So obviously teams like to be empowered, like to be able to make their own decisions. And then what we found was there was quite a lot of toing and froing because you know, the team who was going to be handed over to would be involved in the PRs. And there was just kind of natural disagreement, which was quite hard to break because you've got the, you know, the tension of one team's writing it and another team's going to own it. So actually we quickly realized that that, that as a strategy wasn't going to work and that yeah. this team we this temporary team we'd formed actually became a permanent team and the decision was taken that they would own those foundational services. And then what we found was they were able to go a lot faster and then they would own the APIs, the adapters. So that was kind of one quick evolution. And then uh, it also allowed us to kind of redefine the boundaries within like the payments domain, for example. So originally payments was kind of quite one big group and it's quite hard to say who's responsible for what. So we kind of divided it into the foundations part and then the market integrations and open banking and cards and so we were able to kind of carve it up and again kind of reduce the cognitive load and what people had to think about so it's it's actually you know an example of how we've been able to use conway's law and actually kind of carving these things up like this has actually then made it easier to reshape our organization internally um and yeah now we've got much more cross-functional teams as well so we've, we've got more mobile engineers involved and um sort of able to you know, build these complete slices. Another thing that we had success with was we found it was quicker to build on web as kind of like a demo and then kind of follow. So, so actually we changed to a build on web first and then we were able to kind of then what we'd built, we would then build out on mobile. So that was actually quite a quick way of showing that what we built from a foundational perspective worked and then actually kind of interesting something that i pick up a couple of times now cognitive loads come up yeah a few times is that something that the business recognized 
that was actually a hindrance for teams as you were growing at a phenomenal scale? I think so. I think that's always a driver for organizations in having, you know, these, I think a long time before I came on board with Tide, they'd gone through the exercise of looking at domain-driven design, breaking it down into domains. Um, So whether it was a conscious thing about cognitive load or kind of one of the benefits of it, um, I think I think our leadership are very aware of cognitive load and that we want teams focused on specific things and, and not having them to worry about things. So, yeah, and, and we look at yeah, like, good. The, yeah, the, the cloud platform as well. So, you know, teams don't have to worry about how they get their code deployed into production because that's kind of taken care of by, you know, what the cloud team are doing and, and the DevX team. So the teams can focus on delivering that value to our members. Yeah, great. Okay. Talk to us a little bit about expanding into new markets, what's to come, anticipated challenges with maybe what you've learned about, you know, deploying into India. It'd be great to understand, you know, the next year or so for Tide. Yeah, so a big a big part of it's kind of bringing bringing what we've done back to the UK, and I think that's that's going to be one type of challenge with the mic. Like as we've mentioned before, the migration of we've got half a million members. Like there's a there's a tangled monolith. You know, we've done a really good job of kind of killing a lot of it, and now we need to kind of strangle off the final pieces and get rid of that. So that's one challenge. I think one of the things that we're kind of aware is on the horizon, and I'm not sure what the answer to this is. We're now in a position where, okay, we're in two markets and, you know, the team, there, I think there are high standards to writing a foundational service. You need to make sure it works well, you know, we're writing payments. We need to make sure that, you know, we look after our members' money. If things go wrong, they need to go wrong in, I wouldn't say a predictable way, but also I would say a predictable way, like, you know, we know where it's broken. We we know how we can recover it. We know how we can fix it. Um, so that might be things like the asynchronous nature of the adapters kind of will, if a provider's down, it'll try again in a bit later and then try again and then try again before kind of giving up. Um, so it has gone very smoothly, but what happens when a team is running to a service in two markets? So what happens if something goes wrong with a provider in one country and a provider in another country. And now we've got a team that actually has, they've got two incidents to handle at the same time. And then if you kind of go into a third or a fourth market, then what does, what does it mean for a team to operate for mark, you know, a service in four markets? And is, is that sustainable? So that they're interesting questions because also I think what we've learned with what I talked about in the sort of team evolution is that we know things work best when the teams own the services they write. So how do you reconcile yeah. the you know the need for teams to own what they do, and it's also by owning it that also means operating it. So what does that mean when we're in three or four markets? And I I don't think we've got kind of the answers to that yet. So I think that's certainly a challenge okay. that we're facing the next year. I think that that's the flip side. I think to to that. You could go the other way, and you could just have to, you know, one team writes it in one market, and one team writes it in another. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. You know, you can diversify and spread into more markets, but that might actually dilute the quality 
of some of the work that you're doing from what I understand from some of what you've said and, you know, challenges inside your business. An interesting yeah. problem to solve. Yeah. Or, you know, do, do operational challenges kind of overwhelm your ability to, you know, is that all yeah. you spend time doing rather than developing new functionality? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. You've obviously seen some really interesting growth and this is, typical question that we ask everyone that comes on the podcast it's really key to the community that you know we've created where people have access to phenomenal businesses growing that they do want to join because they're listening to compelling stories like i like i said you've seen some growth in your year with the business a phenomenal growth i'll add is the business growing where are they growing and what do you want to add to the teams? Yeah, sure. So I think we, we are growing. Um, we want to continue growing the the product in India. And I think we're adding quite a lot of exciting products in India. We are always growing. We've got sort of our main development centers are at London, India and uh, Sofia, but we, we are a remote first company. So I think if people are interested in, in Tide, go to the website and the careers page. I think we've also got a Tide engineering blog post on Medium. Yeah, we're always looking for kind of engineers who are interested in, like, I guess, delivering value to, to the end user, but who are kind of inquisitive, want to grow. I think, we're, I think there's you can do a lot of things at Tide, like if, if you kind of, got the willingness to kind of get stuck in and i think there's a there's a lot of empowerment to kind of get stuck into things i think we're a very open community i think the teams um really work well together and you know we don't kind of have architects and stuff like that the teams help shape the architecture and we have discussions we don't we don't have sort of staff engineers just dropping in and saying this is how it should be built you know that's collaborated with the team so i think it's i think it's a really good fun environment to work in and i think we have had massive growth and i think it's a really interesting place to work um and i think we you know we've got interesting problems to work on okay do you only optimize for java or jvm based engineers or are you open to cross trainers i think we're open to cross trainers and i think there are so whilst i've talked about um java that we did actually um acquire a company called funding options a little while ago and they they do so that's another kind of string to our bow is we we offer sort of credit solutions to our members so some of it is direct lending where we will lend the member money but then one of the other ones is where we'll introduce them to partners and that's kind of what funding options have done so they're now called partner credit services they're actually python based so they're very similar in terms of they've got a microservice-based architecture. We're, we're slowly sort of starting to integrate um, their stuff in onto our infrastructure layer, but they're still writing in, in Python. So there are, you know, there are opportunities there as well. But equally, I'd say we're interested in in people who are willing to cross train. So one of the staff engineers who's joined recently is, I think, from a Go background and stuff like that. So, again, okay. so there's certainly no obstacle in that respect. I think it's it's a desire to learn and grow, really, that we look for. I think most modern technology businesses nowadays adopt that mindset, really, in truth. Um, 
I think it is the way to go for sure. You know, especially, you know, casting a net as wide as open to cross training backgrounds and, you know, remote first business, you'll get some phenomenal people, people that listen to this podcast. It's exactly why we asked the question. Um, but I think for everyone listening, there'll be a link below for people to go and see the career site. Andy, I want to say a big thanks. It was really interesting, you know, listening to one platform, how it really does power the business and how you can pivot, you know, into new markets quite quickly. Like I said, I've seen this a number of times and I think it's a phenomenal thing if businesses can get it right. And there's been some really successful businesses on this pod that have gone and done that, yourselves included. Obviously, you know, thanks for coming to share you know, some of your time and experience on, you know, what tide of building and no doubt we'll be checking in at some point, you know, next six to 12 months, seeing where you guys and girls are up to and we'll have to check in and get you guys back on the pod. Yeah. Be happy to. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. And for everyone listening, as always, likes, shares, subscribes, they're all massively appreciated. This this podcast is is free and you know it's powered by the community itself. So we'd massively appreciate that. And thank you all. Hey guys, thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.